The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Yeah, the book of Genesis is, is from Genesis chapter 28, and we're looking at the character called Jacob. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it with me, Genesis 28, we're going to begin in verse 10. And I'm calling this sermon um, God's, or Jacob's wake-up call. Jacob's wake-up call. And so let's take a look at this scripture together. And there are a few of us in the room here, so I'm going to ask them to stand with me as we hear the scripture read. You can do at home what you want to do. Uh, Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and top top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and east and north and south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was loose at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, and he said to God, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth back to you. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this scripture that has something relevant to, to say to us today. And Father, we want to begin by just thanking you for who you are. We just sang about it in that song Uh, That is who you are, a way maker, a a miracle worker, a promise keeper. We thank you, God, that you can be that for us individually, together. Lord, you are such a patient God, slow to anger, rich in love. And you take us in our rough ways, in in our our natural ways, and you you make out of us something beautiful, Lord. You, You shine us up back to the image that you created us in. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. And I pray that this morning, Holy Spirit, that you might come down and that you might be pleased to reach into every living room and every place where this message is being broadcast. And I pray that you, Lord God, would have your way as we share this scripture this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin the message this morning by sharing with you about uh, some book suggestions in case you're looking for some summer reading. And uh, the first book I'll suggest is a book that's by a Japanese theologian written in 1979, a long time ago, and it's uh, called 
three-mile-an-hour God by Kasoki Koyoma. And uh, he titled, entitled the book that, first of all, because of two reasons. Number one, he called the book Three-Mile-An-Hour God because Jesus, when he read the Gospels, he realized that Jesus pretty much walked everywhere he went. And the second reason he called it Three-Mile-An-Hour God is because the average person walks three miles an hour. And so God meets us in our lives at our walking pace. God is merciful. He slows down. He gets in step with us when we're not in step with him. And yet often we complain that, that uh, he's moving too slow. He's working too slow and not fast enough. This author writes this. He says, love has its speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore, the speed the love of God walks. Another book that I would uh, commend to you is a book on prayer by Timothy Keller. It's called uh, Prayer Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. He unpacks in this book that prayer is meant to be a relational exchange, not an event. Prayer is not something you do. Prayer is a relationship you engage in. At one point, Keller says this. He says that conversation with God leads to an encounter with God. Prayer turns theology into experience. We're going to come back to these concepts. We're going to come back in our message to the idea of an encounter with God and a three-mile-an-hour God. We're going to come back to those. A third book that I would commend to you is written by Peter and Jerry Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the reason I cite this book is because they, enlisting the top 10 spiritually, emotionally unhealthy factors, so enlisting 10 unhealthy factors for us emotionally and spiritually, number six, number six on the list is this, doing for God instead of being with God, okay? That's number six in unhealthy characteristics of your spiritual and emotional life is when you're fixated more on doing for God than being with God. And uh, he grew up, the author grew up being taught that uh, getting busy and working for God is, is a sign of spirituality. But here's what he writes, one quote. He says, work for God that is not nourished by deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others, and buying into the wrong ideas of success and the mistaken belief that we cannot fail or we can't fail. Our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. And so again, a great book if you're looking for some summer reading. There's three of them. Three Mile an Hour God, Prayer, and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Well, we're going to unpack Genesis chapter 28 this morning. And um, I'm going to ask you to just think about this text with me. We open up the pages and we find that Jacob has had a dream in which 
He has seen a stairway going up to heaven, angels ascending and descending. The Lord is at the top, and the stairway reaches from earth all the way up to heaven. Now, just in case you think that somehow you have forgotten or missed something of the story between chapter 27, which we talked about last week, and chapter 28, which we are opening this week, you have not. This Jacob that has ha- is having an encounter with God in chapter 28 is the same Jacob of chapter 27, the scoundrel that lies to his father and steals the blessing of his brother Esau. Same guy. Let's look at how it goes today. Perhaps one of the hardest things that we face in looking at this scripture is two questions. The first question is, why in the world did God choose him to be the carrier of the seed of Abraham, the keeper of the covenant, the steward of the promises of God? Why Jacob? One question we have to ask. And the second one is, how is it possible, as we see Jacob in the rough, in the crude character that he is, how is it possible that God's going to get him ready, brush him up, and get him ready for holy purposes that God has in his plans? And that's, that's an in, two questions that we have to wrestle with. The reader is, is always, in the book of Genesis, going to face this kind of wrestling. What do we do with this? Why would God choose him, and how is God going to get him ready? And the answer to those two questions really puts us back into understanding the kind of God that Genesis presents. God is not like us humans. When God sets his love on a person to use them for his purposes, he looks past all the faults and all the blemishes and all the immaturity, and he sees them as he knows they will become in Christ. I like the quote by John Ortberg, Jr. John Ortberg, Jr. says, God sees with utter clarity who we are. He is undeceived as to our warts and wickedness. But when God looks at us, that is not all he sees. He also sees us, sees who we are intended to be, who we will one day become. Amen. That is how God sees us. And this applies to people before Christ came and after Christ came. This applies to the Old Testament saints like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the New Testament uh, saints like the Apostle Paul and Peter, and it applies all the way down to us, all across the cultures, to every person from Adam until you and I that ever will become a child of God. They will become that only and always because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Anyone and everyone who ever becomes part of the family of God, from Adam all the way to you and I, will be so only because of the merit of Jesus Christ. Even those who lived before Christ depend on Christ to be righteous before God. Their sin demands, the holiness of God demands the punishment, and in the mercy of God, God takes their sin, even the sin of Jacob, and he takes the sin and puts it on Jesus Christ, and he goes to the cross, and his blood is shed, and he goes to death, and he rises again, and he offers everyone new life in Jesus Christ. And the question is, how is it that it's possible that that could happen before Christ when Christ had not died yet? Well, that's interesting. 
It's interesting that somehow God sees and applies the blood of Jesus to them. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, we read in Hebrews chapter 10 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So all of those sacrifices that were happening from the time of Abraham onward and through the testament of the law and Moses, all those animals were not taking away sin. They were pointing forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why Jesus in John 8, he could say, before Abraham was, I am, because he is the eternal Son of God. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is the only one by which we can come before holy God and be made right in our spirit and in our soul before him. And so all throughout Scripture, all through the ages of redemptive history, what is God doing? God is finding these people, men and women, in the rough, like Jacob. And he is setting his love upon them and his grace upon them. And then he starts to work upon them to make them more and more like himself, like his son Jesus. Little by little, they respond to his touch. Little by little, they begin to experience the transformation. They put aside their rebellion. They submit to Jesus. The first point I'd like to mention this morning is really the last point I ended with last week. And that is this, that there is a little Jacob in all of us. I don't know how that lands on you when, when I say it. There's a little Jacob in all of us. I hope you're in touch with the little Jacob in you. You know, it, it made me think this morning as I was going over my message, it took me back in my mind to before we had children and Pat and I were at Acadia Divinity College in Nova Scotia. And just for, out of interest, we took an evening course, and it was a course with four couples, Pat and I and three other couples. And you'll never, you'll ne this is not on suggested reading, by the way, when I suggest this, but this is the book we studied the whole semester. It was a book by uh, Whitney Hugh Misseldine, and it was called Your Inner Child of the Past. And um, I'm not suggesting you run out and buy that book, but... We've studied that book, and, and indeed, there's none of us can deny the fact that there is a little inner child of your past within you that you carry around. There's a little Jacob. There's a little Terry. There's a little one that runs around, and, and that, that shaping influence of that person that you carry with you, that little child, is, is with us. No, no question. That, the thing that got Pat and I was that every evening, once a week when we got together, each of the three other couples had issues they, they were processing. And we were really getting frustrated because we, we got no time to talk about stuff. And not, we were just newly married almost, so we didn't have a lot of issues yet. <laughs> Finally, one evening on the way to this, this, the, the class, Pat and I decided, okay, this is what we're going to, we're going to make an issue. We're going to create a problem, and we got a little time that night. <laughs> what is your little Jacob like? What do I mean by that? I think what I mean is that we're sinners, that we bring into this relationship with God all that we have been, all that our parents built into us, all that we've grown up to be, and we're capable of some awful things, awful motives, awful thoughts, awful attitudes. Are you in touch with the little Jacob? 
One author that I read this week said that he described Jacob as a man of slick maneuvers, cunning ways, by nature strong-willed, ambitious, self-reliant, shrewd, and at times very unethical. That's Jacob. I can be that sometimes. I can be that. God has some healing to do from our childhood, from our ways, from some of the hurts, as well as some, from some of the very intentional ways where we have rebelled. And so whether, whether it is a sly and deceitful kind of Jacob or whether it is a pious, self-righteous kind of Jacob, we must see us as God sees us. And that takes time. That takes time to take off the old glasses that we've been looking at ourselves with and to put on God's glasses through his word, through prayer, through the eyes of others that love us, we get to look at ourselves. And then we start to humble ourselves. And then we start to align ourselves with some of the, the stuff that God has to do in us. God knows that we can be self-deceived, that we can think thoughts about ourselves that are not really accurate. We have blind spots, all of us, and God has to bring out his big hammer and chisel, and he has to start knocking away at all the rough edges. He has to start getting at things. He takes out his chisel, and he gets at the pride and the greed and the, the self-deception, the, the lies. I think I told the story before about a man that was working on a big piece of stone and a guy comes along and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a horse out of this piece of stone. He says, how are you going to make a horse out of that piece of stone? He says, it's simple. I just got to knock off everything that doesn't look like a horse. Now, as strange as that may sound, that is exactly what God is doing with you and I. He is looking at us in the rough, and he's saying, everything that doesn't look like Jesus, I'm getting rid of it. I'm chipping it away. That thing you carried from your past, that's not looking like Jesus. I'm getting rid of that. Now, it takes time. He's a three-mile-an-hour God. He's going to take time. He's going to walk with you in the trenches through that stuff. He'll use everything from your children to your marriage to your friends to the circumstances to illness. He'll use everything to get at the things that got to be gone in order for you to look like Jesus. And so what we have when we open the Bible like Genesis 28 is, is that we have this opportunity to look at how God did it with others like Jacob we open up our Bible to chapter 28 and, and we have the opportunity to read this, meditate on this, and pray this up and then say, God, what, what are you saying in Jacob that's said to me? What are you saying about me as I look at Jacob? If I pause and pray and apply God's word, I can get something out of that. And the lesson is there if we'll take the time. But we have to make a decision at one point, don't we? When we just flip open a chapter like we did this morning, we have to decide, when I look at the Jacob that I see in chapter 28, is this a man that God has really chipped away at and he's almost done chipping away? Kind of like an Abraham in, in that moment in Scripture what we read a few weeks ago when, when he's had many tests in his life and now he comes to the test of being told, offer up your son Isaac. 
Well, by that time, he's a mature man of God. He passes the test. So when we open up the Bible and we see a character, are we looking at someone who's been refined somewhat, or are we looking at a Jacob here who's just come out of deceiving his father, stealing from his brother? That's what we're looking at today. We need to know that. We're not looking at a guy that's refined in his faith. We're looking at a guy who's got a lot of stuff to do. God's got a lot of chipping away to do in Jacob. So let's take a look at the story. And I want to start by, secondly, talking about stumbling upon the house of God. Genesis chapter 28, if you have your Bible open, you'll notice in verse 10, the question I want to ask is this. Did Jacob stumble upon the house of God? Did he just happen upon the place that God lived? <laughs> I want you to notice verse 10. Verse 10, it's verse 11, sorry, and he came to a certain place. It says he was traveling from Beersheba to Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed the night. The entire journey would have taken over a month. I've looked it up in the maps. It would have taken a month. It was about 550 miles from Beersheba to Haran. But after about 60 miles, he would have come to this place. Now, if we walk about three miles an hour, that tells me that this might have been the second night of his journey. And he's tired. And don't forget what he's left behind. What did he just leave behind? He just left behind a mother that's crying because she's, she's crying that her favorite son is gone. She just left behind a father that is deceived. He just lied to. May not see him again. She, he just left behind a, a brother, a twin brother, that is now so livid, he wants to kill him. Everything that has been secure about Jacob's life has been left behind. And, it, and, it, and in this verse 19, we find out later that the place that he lands at is called Loose, but Jacob, for Jacob, it's just a certain place. It's just a random place. It's just, it's late in the evening, and I'm tired. I'm going to stop for the night. And I belabor this point because I want you to know that what begins as a certain place will soon become a very, very special place. There isn't even lodging there to stay. He uses a stone for his pillow. And so let's take a look at what happens to Jacob. Jacob falls asleep, and he has a dream in the dream, he has this ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. That song makes us think of that. It actually is probably more of a stairway. And, and he sees a stairway, and on the stairway, angels are descending from, from heaven to earth and back up again. And at the top of this stairway is the Lord himself. This is all part of his dream, very vivid. And, and God speaks to him in the dream. And he remembers, obviously, after he wakes up. And the first thing he says is, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And if you compare the words that are shared in these verses, they line up exactly with what God said to his grandfather when he began the covenant with Abraham. He said, I am uh, going to give you this land that you're lying down on tonight, this morning. I am going to bless your offspring and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I am with you and I will keep you. 
wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. And finally, he says, I will not leave you until I've done everything I've promised through you. I mean, this is all-encompassing kind of promise, the same promise he made to Abraham. In that certain place where Jacob stops to rest, God meets him in a dream. And we read in verse 16 that when he awoke, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I wonder how many people, when they finally have their wake-up call and begin to understand there's a living God that, that loves them, that they've been in a place for a long time and they just didn't realize that God's been there the whole time with him, with them. And it's interesting because the, the place, he says, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he, he named the place Bethel, which means the house of God. By the way, it was interesting to read about that word awesome which we flippantly use concerning several things i was talking with wayne last week about this word awesome and uh, we all use that word to describe everything from ice cream to to uh a movie i don't know and and what i found in hebrew the word naura it actually is related to the word fear that's why, that's why Jacob, it says, is, he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? How awesome. And so a certain place became an awesome place. Why? Because God showed up. Because someone awoke to God who was there. And an ordinary place becomes an extraordinary place because God showed up. And a common place becomes a special place because God shows up because someone awoke to God. Verse 16, Jacob woke up from his sleep. God has been revealing himself in many ways to many people, but they're not awake to him. They continue to live their ordinary lives in their certain places. God wants to transform your ordinary life, your ordinary place to your certain place to a, an exceptional place. Many in the Bible had a special place when they had an encounter with God. Moses at the burning bush. Joshua, when he gets across the Jordan and he's in the promised land, the first night he has a, this captain of the Lord's army meets with him. Paul on the road to Damascus. Do you think for a moment that Jacob stumbled upon the house of God? Oh, no. That place became the house of God for Jacob because Jacob finally awoke to the fact that God is with him. And this is the first personal, up-close encounter that Jacob has with God. Jacob was seeking something, didn't know what, and now he is awake to God. God's biggest job in accomplishing his will on earth will, does not have to do with the methods we use and the message we give and the, the means we have to, to, to convey it. The biggest job God has is getting his messengers ready. That's the biggest job. That's why, that's why somebody said that um, God doesn't call the equipped. He, he equips the called or God, um, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. See, because you see, God finds us in the rough and he gets us ready to serve him. Now, 
Now Jacob can sing, my God, that is who you are, like we sang this morning in that new song. Now Jacob can sing, my God, that is who you are. He's starting to get to know God. This is only the first encounter. There's many more to come. But now he knows. He got a wake-up call. Now God has much more to do in Jacob. The work has only begun. And we know that from the way the chapter ends. If you'll notice with me, Jacob still has a lot of his old ways. There's a little Jacob in Jacob. And that little Jacob is still a bargainer. Uh, He doesn't understand God yet. He doesn't understand his place before God. And so we see in verse 20 that Jacob is still the same old guy. He says, says he makes a vow to God. And the vow sounds a lot more like a bargain than it does like anything else. He bargained his brother Esau with his brother Esau. He said to him, if you sell me your birthright, I'll, I'll give you this lentil stew. And in a little, little while, next week, we'll see that he's going to bargain with Laban, his future father-in-law, and he, he's going to work seven years for his wife. He's a bargainer. He doesn't understand covenant yet. You see, and, and what we read is, is we read in these verses, what does he say? He says, God, if you will be with me and keep me, and if you'll give me bread, give me my food, give me my clothing so that I can return to my father's house in peace, you know, take care of that Esau because he's going to try and kill me. God, if you, if you just restore my family to order and give me food and clothing and take care of me and do all that I ask, To show you that I mean business, I will take this stone and set it up as a pillar and I'll call it your house. And besides that, everything that you give to me, the last verse, 22, everything you give to me, I'm going to give you a tenth. I'm going to give 10% back to you. How's that, God? What do you think of that? (laughs) I mean, this is Jacob, heel grabber, deceiver. This is Jacob. He hasn't learned much yet. He had an encounter with God, but he's still bargaining with God. This is not covenant language. This is collective bargaining language. You do this and I'll do that. Folks, this guy's got a long way to go. That big hammer and chisel's got a lot of work to do. But at least he's got to the point where he can sing, Waymaker. My God. That is who you are. My father's God. My grandfather's, that is who you are. And now you're my God. God has no grandchildren. Each one of us come to him and say, my God. Well, do you know the difference between an experience and an encounter? Kevin and I talk about this regarding worship services sometimes. What's the difference between an experience and an encounter? An encounter is with the living God. An experience might be related absolutely to horizontal circumstances and conditions. But an encounter requires God. What we seek both on Sunday and all week long, is encounters with God. God moments. I want to conclude our time this morning by talking about how we can climb Jacob's ladder. 
how we can respond to this text, this message, how we can think it through in the God moments of our lives. And the first thing that we need to see is, is I think we need to see that, that Christ is in this passage. And uh, let me read to you what the old commentary Matthew Henry says. He says, God's time to visit his people with his comforts is when we are most destitute of other comforts and other comforters. Jacob saw a ladder which reached from earth to heaven, the angels going up and coming down, God himself at the head of it. It represents two things. Number one, it represents the providence of God. And number two, the mediation of Christ. Christ is the ladder. The foot on earth is his human nature. At the top in heaven is his divine nature. Christ is the way. All of God's favors come to us, and all of our services go back to God through Christ. Christ is the way. So the first thing I would say is, is draw near to Christ. If you want to find your Bethel, your house of God, draw near to Christ. Secondly, I would say you need to slow down. Because sometimes God's trying to say something to you. He wants to get your attention. He wants you to have an encounter. But you're off on other directions. You're distracted. He's a three-mile-an-hour God. So start walking with him. Many people believe that your dreams are your subconscious trying to get a message through to your conscious level. And, and so when you wake up in the morning and you've had a dream, you, you somehow have to interpret that dream. And, and maybe what is it that's something I've buried? What is it that's trying to get through to my consciousness? And, and I haven't slowed down enough in my life. And so finally, when I put my body in the bed and my head on the pillow, maybe now God has a chance to speak to me in my dreams. I've talked to several people that have had significant dreams that have shaped their spiritual journey as they've awakened. Now, I'm not telling you that, that Jacob had a God encounter in his sleep. He did not. He did not get the God encounter until he woke up. And similarly, anybody that has a dream that might be spoken to them by God is not going to have a God encounter until they wake up consciously and say, God, I think you're telling me something. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, 14, Awake, O sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Watch carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The intention of any wake-up call is that we would see ourselves more as God sees us and then reach out to Jesus to receive the blessing from God that only he can give. The, the COVID-19 time that we're going through as a, as a world is, is all about also God trying to send a wake-up call. And God is using this season of time to have a real encounter with him. So where are you this morning? Are you, where are you today? Are you dreaming or are you in a real place? Are you having an experience or are you having an encounter with God? Are you a bargainer with God or do you enter into covenant through Christ? Have you found your Bethel? May God bless you and may God bless all of us as we continue to think this passage through. Amen.